Ephesians 4, we're looking at the first six verses. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. In all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, uh, Please teach each of us this morning. We may drink deep. Oh, Lord, drink so deep. Father, I pray you give us ears to hear, souls longing for your divine truth. And that, Father, we be overwhelmed at what we have because we are just your children. To you, my King, in Christ's name, amen. We have been moving through a text this letter to the church in Ephesus that for all intents and purposes is truly, truly, truly amazing for as small as it is. And every time I open it up on a daily basis and go through it, I think about my Russian brother who told me that all he did under the communists was preach Luke because that's the only book he had. And when he found that he had been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, he had no idea what to do next. And I thought, wow, man. And I've been carrying Ephesians around for a long time. I've actually taught the prayer part, but it was always in another country. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but... I want us to think. I'm going to make an assumption that everybody in this room is saved. That we are stuck with each other for eternity. Okay, just want to want you to think about that for a second, because then I'm going to ask you, what do you think about this? Isaiah chapter twelve, verses two and three. Behold, God is my salvation; I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song. And he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day, you will give thanks to the Lord. Call his name. Make known his deeds to the peoples. Make them remember his name is exalted. You know, God bless Isaiah, but he has one of the most simplest ways of describing salvation. And yet it is heavenly. Heavenly. We have seen in the first three chapters of this letter to the church in Ephesus 
that we have each believer, regardless of how long you've walked with the Lord, regardless of how long you've been saved, regardless of where your position is, if you're truly saved, we have seen that we have an extremely high position in Christ. That's part of it. We, you and I, who are truly saved, did you know, and we looked at it, are exalted in the heavenlies? Did you know that the angels look at us in awe? Do you know that we have every spiritual blessing? All of them. We're not waiting on them. We already have them. We have received the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Please understand. We're not waiting on them. We have received them. We are one with the Lord. Inseparable. You cannot delineate from the spiritual realm a Christian from Christ. We have been united. We are citizens of His kingdom. And I must say at times, I, I struggle with these astonishing realities. Just amazing to me. So, with these realities, because of who we are in the person of Jesus Christ, chapter 4, 5, and 6 is how we are to live. Okay? In this text here in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. You know, I looked at that word. There's several different interpretations. Some of them says, I urge you. Some of them says, I beg you. Some of I beseech you, depending on what you look at. It all means the same. So I started, I got sidetracked and started wandering around in it. That's what happens when there's a snowstorm and I'm here. Okay, and so I start wandering around on words. So I started wandering around on this one. You know what I concluded after probably about four and a half, five hours? Paul was a beggar. I was kind of astonished. Okay, now, that was not his profession. Okay, but in the terms of his passion, he was a beggar. Think about that for a second. Here, I'll give you some text. Acts chapter 26, in front of Agrippa. I beg you to hear me patiently. I beg you. To hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was judging him. Paul was his prisoner. Romans chapter 12. We all know that one, right? I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present yourself living sacrifices. Holy and pure. This is your act of spiritual worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. I beg you, be followers of me as I am of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. I beg you to turn firm 
your love towards Him, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. I beg you, in Christ, be reconciled to God. Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. I beg you, brethren, be as I am. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. I beg you for freedom. Christ has set us free. Be not entangled with the yoke of bondage. See, when he had something that he was passionate about, he begged that the hearer would get it. Listen, brothers and sisters, you know, you're looking like, you just got that many verses in five hours? Really? (laughs) So... Remember, I've only got one eye, so give me a break. I did pretty good. Actually, I got a lot more, but I didn't want to just keep going on and on and on and on because he uses the term a lot when he's dealing with something that he wants your undivided attention in. When he believed in something that was vital, when he was committed to some principle of divine truth, He had absolutely no problem begging that the people respond to it. He begged, I beseech you, I urge you, I implore you. I mean, the essence of it is, and I look at it from this perspective, as a pastor, as a brother in Christ, as a disciple of Christ, Act on this, please. That's what Paul's doing. Act on this. Don't just put it in your pocket. Don't don't just write it down in your notebook. I urge you. Listen. After my time with hanging out with him, I understand Paul being a beggar. I understand it. I understand him pleading. But do you know why it happens? Why he would beg, why he would implore, why he would urge, why he would plead? No. He was frustrated with the lack of. When you pour your heart out, it should be noticeable and you shouldn't have to beg. I mean, you say, wow, that's that's serious passion thing going down there now. Those who would teach, those who would preach, plead for certain responses in all of our lives. In all of our lives. So I had a question I asked myself. Do we beg? Do we plead? Do we urge? Do we implore? (laughs) Paul never seemed to stop. 
Didn't matter who he was writing to. I'm begging you. So I always, I kind of got backed away from it, looked at it in a framework, in an apostolic fashion. We have every right to beg. If you take the literal word apostle, it's a messenger. It's someone who has been sent from God with a message from God. And we should beg people to hear it and respond to it. And I think about every believer dealing with eternal things. Do you know what I concluded? If you're dealing with eternal things, you can't be indifferent. I've seen this. Seminary students, (laughs) I think their freshman year, get taught indifference because they all have academic stuff and it's almost like they're afraid to be passionate about the academic stuff I have. I mean, I have sat around with some amazing academic minds and when they preach, they beg and beseech and urge and cry out Respond to this. Listen, I I see people, and I've been explaining to this, about you have to have your doctrine before you can do your duty. But please understand this. Theology. Doctrine. Is not an intellectual thing. It should be a passion. And in that passion, in that zeal of looking into the mind of God, we should begin begging people to hear what God says. You know, I found myself weeping. As I read Paul and his passion and seeing his heart. He pleaded with people. He begged people. Listen, when it came to the real issues of the spiritual world, he didn't mind begging people. Please hear. Pleading. See, I see today people getting intellectual information. And we respond to it if it is reasonable for us. Will this work in my hectic life? Not Paul. Paul had some intellectual stuff. But he went around pleading and begging for people to respond to it. Quite a bit different than what I see today. What I hear today. That's what Ephesians 4.1 is, the begging. Remember that in chapter 1, verse 17... 
He prayed that the eyes of their hearts would be open. Remember that? To the wisdom. The wisdom that he had just imparted. Before there was a creation, let me show you what God's plan was. Boy, I pray that you will see this. At the end of chapter 3, what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. He showed you, this is how you walk spiritually. This is how you grow. This is how you are to get there. I've given you the information. Now I need you to get there. And the only way I know that's going to work, I need to pray. What does he do after he prays? Chapter 4, verse 1. He prays. He'll do it. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of what I just prayed and the information, the theology, the doctrine, the intellectual ascension that I just gave you. Now I want you to walk in it. And he's petitioned the Lord twice in three chapters. Make him see. Make him see. Walk worthy. He makes the statement there, I, the prisoner of the Lord. Hmm. I want you to walk worthy. I am Christ's prisoner. Please walk worthy. Walk in a manner of your calling. He begs them. You know what else? He's begging us. And he will continue to beg us until what? We walk worthy. Listen, I want to give you the negative contrast to that. If you or I don't walk worthy, okay, the information that we have, the theology that we have, showed you that in Isaiah. That information. If we don't, God is not glorified in our lives. We will not be fully blessed. The church cannot fully function. Then the world cannot really see Jesus Christ. If we're not walking worthy. So now do you see why Paul would beg for it? Truth of the matter is. We all should. Everybody in this room. We have received theology. We have received doctrine. Now keep in mind. What. The apostle said, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Remember that? I'm going to come back to it. Let me see if I can help you. Colossians. Okay, remember, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are all written in roughly the same time frame. He is chained to a Roman soldier uh, awaiting audience before a high court in Rome. Okay? So he's a prisoner. He says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. But look what he says to the Colossians. 
chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, remember what therefore is for? Because you are built up in Christ. That's what chapter 2 is. I am built up in Christ. Okay. Therefore, because you're built up in Christ, because you are one with Christ, because Christ has lifted you, you are hidden in Christ, because all that. Okay. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay? You know, Paul says it a lot more, more better, <laughs> more eloquent than I am. When I say it, you know what I say? Where are your affections? The things that mean something to you, where are they? Simple question if you think about it. It doesn't take a lot of time to be with somebody and understand where their affections are. I guess another way I could state it is, what is important to you? Paul said, set your minds on what? Things above. Why? I've been raised with him. Been raised what? Raised from the dead. Romans 6. I've been baptized into his death and raised to walk into what? Newness of life. Where's my affections? What is important to you right now? Okay? Ladies, you should remember this. That's been going through 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. If we believe, we ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Walk in the same manner as he walked. Why? That seems... Dude, you know, I'm I'm an old earthen vessel. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm clay pot, you know. Some of us are crack pot. So, I mean, you want me to, how do, what do you want me to do here? Because of our high and exalted position. And I'll take you back. To, we're going to keep going back to this because you're not getting off the hook. Listen, if you're saved, do you understand that you are a possessor of Jesus Christ? If you are saved, do you understand that you are a possessor of His Holy Spirit? If you are saved, do you realize you are a possessor of the fullness of God? You ever thought about that? So if I've got that going on, then I should do what? Walk as he walked. Now, do you see why he's begging? Verse 1 is the call. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, beg you, beseech you, 
to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. This is after he prayed for you and told you how to. The call. The call for a Christian. I mentioned this briefly this morning when Jesus and Matthew said, Count the cost. He's sharing salvation, but he tells them to what? Count the cost. Do you know what your salvation is going to cost you? And you know what? I would say a large percentage of Christians don't have any idea what it costs. I know what it costs the Lord. And if it cost him that much, then how much should it cost me? Oh, my life has been hidden in his. Hmm. The call begs us to walk. Okay? I'm going to stop with the word walk for a minute. I'm making progress. I've done two already. Come on. You guys are looking at me. Oh, he's going to do a word. I've already done one. Walk. You know what walk is? You know, I can tell you this. You lift your leg and you put your heel forward and you roll your foot down and pick up your leg and then you pick it up and you go like this. And if you ever watch little kids when they first learn, it's like, oh my Lord, here we go. And uh, it's funny because... Uh, so many kids, I remember parents always wanting their kids to walk, and I keep, being that I've had them, I say, be careful what you ask for. Because most of the kids I see now, they don't walk. They stand up and hit it running. And it's up to you to keep up, okay, which they've kept you up all night long, and for some reason they have nuclear fission for energy, and they walk and run and everything else. That is definitely one way to look at it. But when I look at the word walk in the New Testament especially, it's a very, very, very important word. You know what it means? Remember what I said, Jesus? I Count the cost. The word walk means your daily conduct. That's all it is. Your daily conduct. Your daily conduct is that thing that some people see and some people don't see. What's my daily conduct? These last three chapters, the last three, the theme is walk. Walk. What is your daily conduct? Well, and I'll give you a quick one. We won't, I won't dwell on it long, but the first 16 verses of chapter 4 is the walk of unity. Okay? Chapter 5 begins with love walk. Your daily conduct is immersed in love. It's also the light walk. You shine forth Jesus Christ in your walk, in your daily conduct. And you can't forget it, and also in chapter 5, is the wise walk. Walk in wisdom. Remember what he prayed in chapter 1, verse 17. Okay? 
So these last three chapters, the emphasis is what? The theme is what? Walk my daily conduct. Then chapter, the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6 is my spirit walk. And then it concludes, chapter 6 concludes with my warfare walk. That's what we're looking at. What is your daily conduct? Uh, You know, I guess the easiest way for me to describe it is your lifestyle. What is your lifestyle? How does it fit in light of the theology that you've received? How do we conduct ourselves daily? You know, we can come in on church and Sunday school and stuff like that and conduct ourselves with great holiness. Right? I don't have any problem with that. When was it? Yesterday. I was coming over to do the driveway. I'm pulling a trailer. Okay, and it's still a little snowy and slick and patches and stuff like this. And this wonderful human being that God had just brought into my life to breast my soul decided he needed to be that close to my trailer. And I found myself with this thought. I wonder if I tied that tractor down. What if it just rolls out? <laughs> Don't get so close. <laughs> I had tied it down. Don't worry. But do you see what I mean? Now, ain't nobody with me. It ain't like I'm yelling out the window, I'm going to drop this tractor on your hood. I didn't do it. You know, but you, you just sit there and go, you know, we got patches of ice all over the place. And you're in that big a hurry? Our daily conduct. How do we conduct ourselves? How do you conduct yourself? Now see, you can conduct yourself one way. Let's say you work with a bunch of unbelievers. And you can conduct yourself one way there. If I'm in a room full of a bunch of unbelievers, I can conduct myself that way. Of course, if I'm at church, I am going to enroll in the Spirit and everything. No. It should be a daily lifestyle. Of the person of Jesus Christ. Because of our exalted position. What is our lifestyle? And the Apostle Paul here is saying, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I beg your lifestyle to look like your calling. Remember Jesus said, count the cost. I don't ever remember hearing an evangelist say, count the cost. I don't ever remember hearing an evangelist saying, you are not your own. You've been bought and paid for with a price. Your dreams, your passions, your affections, they ain't yours no more. They're his. Let your lifestyle be worthy of your calling. Hmm. Now, the first thing that comes up to mind, well, maybe not for you guys, 
But for me, when I read stuff like this, and I think about dropping tractors on people, how can I walk worthy of this calling? How do I do that? I mean, I remember reading Calvin, and Calvin says, <laughs> what we have here is worm theology. We are worms, and God has saved us. And I was like, oh, okay. Gosh, I feel better, John. <laughs> you help me out there, buddy. How do I walk worthy of this? Any of you guys ever thought about that? Walk worthy of my calling? You know, I looked at this. He had a plan in the past before he ever made creation, and he named me. Wow, that's kind of cool. And then he fulfilled the plan in the person of Jesus Christ and said, you are mine. And because my son saved you, I will bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. I will give you the unsearchable riches of my knowledge that is through Jesus Christ. I will use you. And you will glorify me in your life. And you will walk in a way that people will say, He belongs to the Most High God. Peter even says, be holy, for he is holy. And holy is set apart. You know what that means? Be different than the world. Don't drop tractors on people. I told you I didn't. Okay, so see, don't pray for my repentance. Well, we just looked at how. How can I, a redeemed, a reconciled earthworm... Walk worthy of this exalted high position. How do I do that? Well, I, you can look at your outline and say, Well, I'm going to do it in humility. I'm going to do it in gentleness. Oh, I think I'll do it with patience. And I'll do it long-suffering love. No problem. Really? Until the guy starts telegating you. No, brothers and sisters, it was 14 to 20. Chapter 3. Remember verse 20? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. Remember that? Strengthen with the might of the Holy Spirit in the inner man so that the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is comfortable in your life. And you will start understanding the miraculous love that he showed you on Calvary 2,000 years ago. And the love that he shows for his creation. That you will be filled with the fullness of the Father. And then you will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ask or think. That is how... You walk worthy. This all happens as we are living in the resources that empowers us to walk in a manner worthy. Let me tell you something. 
If you just break down that little outline thing I got there, characteristics of a worthy walk, humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, do you know emphatically I know this? You can never do one of those, let alone all four of them, just knowing theology. Can't do it. You can't do it. So, Paul is begging us today in 2000, what is it now? 19? Anybody still writing 18 on their checks? Just, just curious. I do. <laughs> I should get it right about 2020. Are we willing, listening to Paul beg, are we willing to commit ourselves to that power resource? Before you say yes, you always know I got another, I got one hidden right here under the pulpit. You willing? Even if it costs you everything? Do you understand what I'm saying about everything? Your finances, your goals, your desires. Costs you everything. Are you willing to do that? Because see, if you are, then I'm going to ask you, then why would you ever complain? About anything. And that's what I'll get to next. Remember what he said in chapter 3 verse 1? I a prisoner of Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say in verse 1 of chapter 4? I a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Huh. What is that? Look at that man. Three words in one message. Let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul uses this a lot. But if you look at it, he was in jail a lot. And it would seem odd to me to be chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day in Rome, hurried out under darkness, get him on a boat, a bunch of shipwreck stuff going on, just, just, a, just needs to get a new tour guide. Okay, but he got there and he's chained and he says he's in whose chains? Who is he a prisoner of? Hmm, sure looks like Rome to me. I mean, I'm not the brightest bulb in the package, the sharpest pencil. But it sure, I mean, if you're chained to a Roman soldier, it sure looks to me like you're in custody of Rome. Roman chains. And he said he was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is going to help you a lot if you listen. He was in custody. He had been in custody for a while. But he never saw it as in the custody of Rome, as a prisoner of Rome. 
I just showed you that you can be strengthened in the inner man with the mighty power of the Holy Spirit so Christ dwells in you at ease and you'll know miraculous love and the fullness of the Father will fill you. Okay? I showed you that. He never saw it as Roman chains. He saw it as a prisoner of the Lord. You know why? Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. See, once you get into that that flow, remember, what did I tell you? When your doctrine grows, your duty flows. If you are praying 14 to 20 for yourselves on a daily basis and everybody that you know is a believer and you start praying that, you know what will happen? You know how you know you've arrived? You have the ability to see everything. I don't care what it is. You will see everything only in the light of how it affects Christ. Period. Jesus said, pray this way. Give us our daily bread. Not where am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat? Let's say it's almost lunchtime. I need to go. No. Where does Jesus want you to go eat? Brothers and sisters, if you think about that for just a little bit, it will completely change your perspective on life. There's only one way to live, and that is looking at everything in the divine. This place is temporal. Why would I be consumed with it? Why would I let it obsess me? Paul never saw things as mundane. Paul never saw things as ordinary. Because he was looking at a God who was able to do far more abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, beyond what he could ever ask or think. And so when he gets arrested, this is God's idea. Everything was seen in relation to God. Did you hear that? Everything was in relations to God. His first thoughts were always vertical. Vertical. Let me ask you a question. Ever had financial problems? Money's tight, money's short, money's gone. You know what your first response is? How does that affect me? Isn't it? Isn't it? If you're in physical pain, what's your first thought? How does that affect me? Not the Apostle Paul. It didn't matter what was going on. How is this and what is God showing me? And how does it affect my testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ? His first thoughts were always vertical, no matter what came into his life. Now, I'm going to stop for just a second, okay? Did you count the cost? 
Because that's salvation. He immediately thought vertically. What is this, Lord, that I am enduring? And how does it affect God? Remember Jesus made that statement? I'm here about my Father's work. I had a 17-hour layover in uh, Moscow. And what you learn, if you go through Moscow, you go over in Russia, the first thing you do is shut your phone off. If not, <laughs> they got it. Okay. And so I made one call. Uh, it landed somewhere. And uh, so there I am in the Moscow airport. And... Uh, it's just hard to find some people who speak American. And so yeah, I was sitting there and I was, didn't know what to do. So I, I went and got me a little bite to eat. Uh, I don't know what it was. Yeah, to be honest with you, I don't even know how much it cost me. <laughs> it's just, oh, okay, it's rubles. Great. What does that mean? Well, it could be like euros. Well, I don't even know what that is. So anyway, you give him a credit card and says, well, I hope I didn't just break the bank. But anyway. So I'm sitting there eating, and I don't have anything to do. I don't have anybody to talk to. So I sit down, I pull out my Bible, start flipping through the pages. I was getting ready to teach Romans down in Baku. And so I'm flipping through the pages, and all of a sudden I get this tap on my shoulder. And I turn around, and they said, you have a Bible. American. No, I'm a Russian who speaks American. And he sat down, and we sat, we sat there and chit-chatted for, I don't know, a couple of hours, something like that. And he was asking me theological questions and the difference between the Orthodox and what I did and all the rest of it. And I thought, I'm stuck in Moscow airport. Can't understand anything anybody's saying. Eating things that I'm not sure of. And here's this guy. I pull out the Bible and it's like the Bible crossed everything. Okay. I still would never advise someone to take a 17-hour layover anywhere. But, okay, why? Listen, I was captive. It wasn't like I could just leave. I didn't have a visa for Russia. I'm not allowed out of the airport. I've got people in Moscow I can talk to. But they can't get to me because I'm in the secure area. And I can't get out of them because I ain't got no visa. So I was captive. And yet God brought somebody that I could share the faith of the New Testament with. Paul immediately always thought vertically. He never kept things on the horizontal. You know what? Every one of us in this room have troubles in our lives. If you're not in trouble right now, you will be or you're coming out of trouble, or you're in trouble. I mean, things that, to use the Colossian text, challenge your affections. When we have these troubles in life, and we will, how many of us focus on how this is going to affect me? See, we keep it on the earthly. 
However, the question is that I'll come back with is how much time do I spend dwelling on that? Listen, the one who has the word of God dwelling in them richly, remember that? A week ago? What Proverbs calls wisdom, those people who have the word of Christ dwelling richly, those work out of a divine frame of reference. You get to the point when the word is dwelling you richly that you realize it ain't about me. It's about him. And you cross that bridge and as you continue to stay there, then you realize that I don't care what you're dealing with. It's about him. It ain't about me. This guy that uh, is... uh, <laughs> tormenting my eye. You know, he comes in and, you know, they'll put, it's just a, it's a big old ordeal. They get you ready for it. All the rest of it. My last visit there, he came in and, and I busted on him a couple of times talking about, you know, this male bonding thing is way overrated. And he kind of chuckles and sticks me in the eye. But anyway, so he came in this last time. And he said, well, how you doing? I said, I'm all right. I said, all right. He says, is it numb? I said, well, I'm not going to stick my finger in my eye to find out. <laughs> so it either is or it isn't. And he says, well, you know, we can't. I says, listen, I saw that there was a, the, the embolism was getting smaller. That's an encouragement. But what, you know, I've really learned from going here. And he says, what's that? I said, I have a new meaning to praying without ceasing. And he goes, huh. He said, I'd have never thought about that. I said, I never thought about somebody sticking a needle in my eye either. <laughs> so, so we're even. Wisdom that comes from God. When you're working out of the divine frame of reference, and you put that as the vertical as you deal with the troubles in life. And Jesus has already told us, in this life you will have tribulations, which again proves the Bible is true. Then I will respond to my trials and tribulations because the word of Christ is dwelling in me richly. Richly. Ask these questions when you start into it. I don't care if you're getting ready to buy a car. I don't care if you're trying to change jobs. I don't care if your job is awful and you're going to blow everybody up, but you're going to do it under an alias so nobody knows it was you. I don't care. Ask this question. Lord, what is it that this means? Second question. Lord, what are you showing and telling me? Now you take those two questions and you stick them on anything and what's the answer differently? Well, all of a sudden now, it ain't about you. See, 
worldly people see everything on how it will relate to me. Listen to our political realm right now. It's still about what? Me. How will it affect me? Right? And you know what? The world will eat it up. Paul never did that. I'm a prisoner of who? Of Christ. But he was arrested and it wasn't fair. He didn't do anything. Made the Jews mad. That's not really a crime, is it? See what I mean? The one with the word of Christ dwelling richly in them is drawing on divine wisdom. And let me tell you something. I learned this the hard way. There are sometimes it doesn't make a bit of sense. Okay? And there's been times that I've asked him, you know, boss, this don't make a bit of sense. But you still press on to the upper calling of Christ. Listen, when the word is dwelling in you richly, it interprets everything in reference to the divine and to the eternal. Okay? I don't care what it is. I, I don't care if your bank account seems like it's sucking air more than it's doing anything else. I don't care. Well, what's your retirement? I don't care what your retirement is. My retirement is at the right hand of God the Father. That's my retirement. Well, what about the people down here? Well, if he took care of this knucklehead, I bet he can take care of the knuckleheads that are left. But my divine resources are him. And he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever ask and or think. For the power that works within us. How does it affect God? What does it mean to Him? And how does Christ fit in this? Okay? Listen. You can tell when you get to the place when your mind and your heart are committed to the Word of God. You know how you know? Because everything in your life is referenced to God. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It's, uh, you've heard me use the, the thing with Scripture. It is thinking and acting through a divine grid. Okay, and I got news for you. I can instantaneously know when I'm not, and I can know the same when I am. The peace that surpasses understanding Guards my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. If I have turmoil, you know what it is? How does it relate to me? When the peace of God guards my heart and my mind, how does it relate to God? Thinking through that divine grid, truthfully, it's the only way to live as a Christian. Okay, now, 
We always talk about maturity. What is a mature Christian? That's it. Right there. That's it. Listen, I know people who can turn on the news and be mad. Who cares? I know people, I listen to a radio station, that made me mad too. Or they go to a sports thing uh, and why you can have 300 million Americans in America and they can all have different football teams, but the whole nation hates Tom Brady. It's the only thing we've ever unified on. The craziest thing I've ever seen. Why? How does it affect me? You know what that means? You bet against him, didn't you? But see, when we get it to that point that we're relating it to ourselves, you're going to live in nothing but anguish. When you know, oh Lord, how does this work and where does Christ fit into this? Then it's about him. And you will live in blessing. The mature Christian is one who sees everything in the light of a divine perspective. Paul was a prisoner. Listen, if you're a prisoner for just preaching the gospel and you're in chains trying to figure out whether they're going to execute you or not, that is a person that can handle anything. Because he's not dependent on how it affects him or her. Once you get into that perspective, well, so what? So what? We can get there. Everything in this whole wide world can be interpreted in a divine manner. I don't care how chaotic it is. I don't know how crazy it is. I don't care how bizarre it is. Because I can go back to Isaiah chapter 12, 2 and 3 and says... Whoa! Can you believe this salvation? Then what's the perspective? What did Isaiah... Listen, Isaiah had a ministry that I wouldn't wish on anybody. But he had it. Okay? And yet he understood that his salvation was so much more important that he said, all it does is bring me joy. That's it. Once you shift into that gear, you know what? You will see Him who can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what you can think or ask. But you have to be strengthened in the inner man by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit that Christ may be at ease in your life, that you will know the miraculous love that is the Father and the Son and that you will be filled with the fullness of God. Then everything goes back to a common vertical thinking. Okay, like that song. And the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of your glory. See? That is the call to walk worthy. From Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you, I implore you, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Let's pray.
Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things that you continue to show me on a moment-by-moment basis. Father, I get excited. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters will be excited. And that, Father, each of them, look at 14 to 20, beg you to help them. That they can look with a vertical perspective. And it doesn't really matter what's going on. And you can smile through the worst of times. Help us, Lord. Times are strange here. You know. Father, I pray that those who are called by your name will walk worthy to your privilege and prayers and blessings. In Christ's name.